Bibles this morning and turn to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We're in a series entitled New Streams built on the theme. We introduced it two weeks ago. We talked about basically the existence of new streams. And then last week we talked about the barrier about the need for cleansing. And then this morning we're going to look at something different. I want you to notice Isaiah 43, verse 15. God says this, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as a towel. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I want to preach this morning with the Lord's help on this subject, the basis for new streams. The basis for new streams. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless your word. And, and it's been good to be in your house already and to consider um, the songs and the words and the meaning, the true meaning of each of them. I pray that now that we would consider your word which was given directly from you for us. And Lord, encourage our hearts. Give us, give us the basis, Lord, for seeking new streams this year. We pray things in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. In verse 19, the verse that we've mentioned and will continue to mention Throughout the year, God declares to the children of Israel, Behold, I will do a new thing now. God is desiring to do a new thing. He is desiring to bring forth a new work, a new story of blessing. Specifically, in Isaiah 43, He's desiring to bring them out of bondage, to take them from the land of captivity there in Babylon where they've been for over 70 years and he wants to release them from that bondage, release them uh, from this, this being servants and being controlled and dictated to and living in a pagan land and he wants to guide them back to Canaan, he wants to guide them back to Israel, he wants to bring them back to the land that he has promised for them where he will give them their own homes and their own lands and the temple can be once again rebuilt for the glory and for the worship of God. He wants to do a new stream. In other words, a new story of blessing and provision in their life. And I hope, I hope this morning that, that as we introduce the theme that you haven't already just got back into the mundane, of the mundane normal activity of life and have just kind of forgotten about the reality that this year you and I and we as a church are saying to the Lord, we want new streams in our life. Even this past week, 
you know, as we've got all these various things coming and excited about missions trips and, and college ramping up again and, and other ministries, just even early in the week saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to just get back to a calendar and get back to just kind of checking things off of a list. Father, I want to keep my, my mind and my heart on this. What's, what is a new story you want to write for me? And what is the new story you want to write for our church? And can I say this? I don't even think we know yet. I don't even think I know yet what God wants to do. He wants to do something new. And I hope that's still your expectation. I hope that's still your passion. And that you're not just going back to the Monday through Friday, but saying, God, I want to see something new in 2022. Might as well make it rhyme for us. This morning. And so he's saying that. But here's what's interesting. God is God. God anticipates the response of Israel. You see, he he says this in verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. And he makes this great declaration of what he wants to do. But God knows who he's speaking to. And God knows what their response is going to be. He, he anticipates, when you read the chapter and the verses, here's what you understand. He's anticipating what their response is going to be to the announcement. And here's, and here's what it is not. All right, pack up our bags, let's go. There is not a sense of expectation as our chorus says. There's a sense of hesitation. You even read later in, and you read about when Babylon gets overthrown and, and Persia comes in, you find that many Israelites not only hesitate, but some refuse to even go. And so you, here you have God coming to the children of Israel while they're in Babylon, while they're in exile, while all this stuff is going on, and God's saying, hey, I want to do something new, something great, something amazing in your life. I want to pour streams in the desert for you. And here's what's amazing. And as God is saying that, God already knows that there is going to be hesitation and in some of them, refusal to seek new streams. And so in this passage, God, part of when God is not only declaring new streams, God is also going to try to get them to desire and move toward new streams. You know, it's not just Israel that's like this. But as you read through the Gospels and you read through the epistles and then you just observe Christianity, here's what you find, that God is offering unto us in the person of Christ new streams and growth and, and blessing and all these things. And all through the New Testament you read about it and you observe it in Christians. And here's what's amazing, that oftentimes it can be anticipated that our response is not pack up our bags. Our response is not, okay, let's pursue. Okay, let's go after new streams. But oftentimes, even in the local New Testament church, and even in individual Christians' lives, we can have a sense of hesitation and sometimes even refusal for new streams. It's amazing. You read the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books of the New Testament now, as you basically read about how amazing Jesus is and, and how what all that Christ has, 
all of the streams that Christ has for people that follow him and, and pursue after him. And he talks about a Canaan land. He talks about a victorious Christian life there in the book of Hebrews. And he's saying all these things to these Christians saying, look, essentially, God has a story for you. And God wants to write these things in your life. And you come all the way to chapter 13, verse 22. And then you hear this. I beseech you, brethren, suffer or allow the word of exhortation. And now get it. Paul is saying, who I think wrote Hebrews, he's saying, look, I'm telling you all these great things that the Lord wants to do in your life, but here's what I know. You have to allow, you have to receive that exhortation because I know that you probably won't or you're hesitating to. Have you ever thought about this? How many Christians hear of new streams? And you can use different phrases for that. How many Christians hear about the promise, victorious Christian life, all the stuff that God wants to do, and yet never move? Hesitate. How many churches have had, you know, vision Sundays and themes and calendars and plans and, and all this stuff and screens and, and graphs and all that stuff, and then the church is just like, yeah, that's really great, but then there's a hesitation or nothing at all. And the question is this, why? Why? Like, why is Israel hesitating to new streams? Why does God anticipate this? Why, why is it that they, even throughout Old Testament stories, why is it that they tend to move slowly? And why is it that Christians do the same thing? Is it because is what God's not, is what he's offering? Is what he's offering not enough? Is the value proposition not good? Is there not enough value being offered? That's not the reason. You read through Isaiah and you read through this period of time, you know what you find? Israel wanted new streams. You find that even in their synagogue and in their meetings, you know what they would read about? They would read about Old Testament uh, prophecies dealing with the coming days and they would pray and they would sing songs seeking for new streams. I mean, no, like if you were to go to Israel in exile and listen to the leaders and the elders and the synagogue meetings and all that stuff, you know what they'd be talking about? New streams. And you'd see them praying and singing and, and drawing from the Psalms, wanting God to bring them out of Babylon and to bring them into freedom. I mean, that was like the bulk of their passion and their conversation. They absolutely wanted new streams. I think most Christians want the want and desire for God to do something new in their life and to go to new phases of service or maybe to grow in, in victory over a sin or, or change to become more like Christ in an area. And I think a lot of churches love the idea and desire to see new streams of souls and new ministries and, and being able to do more than they've ever done. But that's not the issue, but there are three issues in Isaiah that I want to identify that contributed to their hesitation. And here's the first one. They became settled in Babylon. They became settled in Babylon. Let me read to you, Jeremiah. You can write, not note this down. But listen to what God said in Jeremiah 29 about what would happen to them in captivity. He says this, he says, unto all that are carried away captive, I have caused thee to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, 
and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away. So God says, look, you're going to go to Babylon, but if you'll seek the peace and not rebel against the leadership I'm going to allow you to have a home and I'm going to allow you to have children and your children will have children and they'll get married and you'll have gardens and and you'll be able to live together as a little community and you'll be in exile and you'll be slaves, but you'll still have your family and you'll still have a garden. And that's what happened. By the time you come here to the end of Isaiah, here's what you have. You have generations. The people that are able, that are young enough and fit enough to go back to Jerusalem, they never lived in Jerusalem. They grew up in Babylon. And so here they are, and yes, they're slaves, and yes, it's a pagan pagan nation, but they have a house. And yes, they have to do what they're told and pay the taxes that they're told, and they'll never be able to purchase, they'll never be able to have, you know, longevity of security and all these different things. And yes, they'll never be able to have their temple again, but they have a garden and they have their grandkids, and, and they do have some things that they can enjoy. And here's what happened they became, they became settled. They learned in the midst of the discomfort of not having God's blessings, they learned how to adjust to it and still be settled in life. It reminds me when I lived in Idaho and I had this little car. Uh, it was, it's a Suzuki Samurai. I actually saw one rolling around here uh, a month ago. It's basically like a, it's like the size of a took, uh, actually, and it's basically made of plastic. And I had this Suzuki Samurai car, and, and the, the roof uh, was, was, like a, was like a tarp. And so it was meant for like going up to the mountains and outdoor stuff, and literally the roof of it was like tarp that was buttons, like push buttons, and I could unbutton it and take the roof off and, and drive on the freeway like it's a convertible that goes like 25 miles an hour or whatever. And so I had this Suzuki Samurai, but the problem was it didn't have a heater. And I didn't live in San Diego. I lived in Idaho with mountains and, and below zero temperatures from time to time, freezing temperatures. And I mentioned this last week, and it was when I was working graveyard shift. So I was working 11 o'clock at night to 6 or 7 in the morning. And so I'd have to drive there and back without the sun in a Suzuki Samurai that's made of plastic with a tarp. Oh, yeah, that three of the buttons were off, and so it would flap when I would drive. And one time, literally, a cat got in there. It, it, was my, it was my roommate's cat. That's a great, and I tried to grab the cat, and the cat jumped out. But for all you cat lovers, he lived to my dismay. But, but anyway, and so you know what I had to do when I drove to work? I'd have to get my jacket. I had an old jacket, big, long coat from when I was at Dillard's, and I'd have this long jacket. No, 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 that was not then. I had a big, uh, big puffy jacket, and, and I got scarves, and I got a beanie, and I put all this clothes on, and here I am, like, looking like I'm going to live in Alaska so that I can drive, and I've got gloves on, and I have to start the car, you know, 35 minutes before I leave to get all of the stuff, you know, from the engine to cool everything down because I don't have a defrost working functional on my Suzuki and I'm driving and you know what happened after a period of time you just kind of believe it or not you just kind of get used to it 
I mean, you just, you have your stuff there, and you got your beanie, and you got your jacket, and you got your gloves, and you just, that's just part of life. Like, it's not the best. I mean, I would recommend having a heater, but it, it, it just became something I had to do to live, and I was able to work, and I was able to pay my bills, and I was able to do what I did, and I was able to adapt to my life, and that's exactly what Israel was doing. Israel was in bondage. Israel was in captivity. Israel didn't have the worship of God. They didn't have the defrost. They didn't have the heater. But they learned how to adapt, and they learned how to live and to enjoy where they were. And they became settled. And you know what happens when you become settled? You don't want to make major changes. It's like, uh, have you ever got really comfortable in a chair? Uh, I don't know, just another, we just got a recliner for my son, Nathan, and he does really good in recliners, and we buckle him in, and so when he's not in it, I like it, and so, you know, I get a, go brew a coffee from a French press, which takes like 35 minutes, you know, it's not like a drip coffee, but anyway, get that French press, get it all made, and I bring a chair by the recliner, I sit there, and then I get my computer, and because my keyboard's destroyed, I have a side keyboard that I use, and so I'm sitting there, and it takes me about 15 minutes to get positioned on the recliner and there's nothing worse than when I finally got everything set my coffee is ready and all of a sudden I got a phone ring because I got to go answer the door downstairs when you're settled you know what you don't want to do you don't want to make you don't want to change you don't want to get up you don't want to get out of your seat you're comfortable with where you are and that's where Israel was Israel had learned to plant gardens have grandkids they learned how to put a recliner in the midst of Babylon and they didn't want to alter that you know, it's an amazing thing how we as Christians, we can adapt to having no prayer life. Men can adapt to being unspiritual and, and just having their family at the church and it keeps everybody happy. They, know, they position their family for the Lord by having them at church and keeping them involved in church. And churches can get settled with, with, with the same people. We love the same We love our membership, but we can get settled with a building. We can become even sentimental to a building, even if it's not suiting all the functions of what we need. And, and we can just kind of get settled and get comfortable. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's not great. But, you know, but it, it, it does what we need to do. But, but, but we get comfortable and we get to a place where we don't really want to make changes. And here's where it gets worse. When we get settled and then everyone else gets settled to where we are. In other words, a church is used to you not serving. So there's no expectations for you to serve because you never served. And so now everybody kind of knows who you are and what you are. You're the Sunday morning person or you're the, you know, not Sunday night person or you're this. And, you know, you'll do this, but you won't do that. And everyone's kind of adapting. The church is kind of adjusted to what you won't do. And so you don't want to disrupt that because everyone has settled around you. Your family's settled around you. Like, you go to church, but you're not spiritual. You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You don't have a real fervent walk with God. But your wife has learned how to adapt to that. Or your husband has learned how to adapt to that. And the kids have learned how to adapt to that. And so life has just continued to go on. And here's what happens. We get settled. And we've got our little gardens in the midst of captivity. And we don't want to get up out of the chair. Because we don't want to disrupt what is finally comfortable to us. We hesitate because we're comfortable. No, no, Israel didn't want to leave their kids, their grandkids, and their gardens. 
They didn't want to shake that up. They liked, they liked that. They know they, they had to wear gloves and they had to wear scarves and they had to run the car for 35 minutes, but they were okay because they were able to do what they wanted to do. And we get that same way about church and we get that same way about our Christian life where we learn how to adapt to things that are going how they should not be. But we're still able to function so we stay exactly where we are. Here's the second thing in verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That phrase, way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, is not symbolic. It's real. It's literal. It's literal. Because between Babylon and Israel was one thing. Desert. About 800 to 1,500 kilometers, depending on their journey. It would take them an estimated amount of time of four months of traveling. Four months of traveling through the desert to get to Israel. Do you know what that meant? That meant potential heat exhaustion. It meant no water. So here you are, you're thinking, here we are, great, and God wants to bring us out of Babylon, and, and God wants to take us to Israel, but in between where we are and where we want to go, there's between 800 and 1,500 kilometers of nothing. There's no, there's no water, there's no sources of water along the way, and we're going to have to travel that whole distance, and one, we could run out of water and we could die, or two, the wilderness was full of bandits, it was full of robbers, people who would wait and try to catch a group of people, so could you imagine how vulnerable a massive amount of people traveling would be to bandits and to robbers and to being attacked? And so here's what they're saying. When they hear about God's new streams, you know what they're thinking about? There's a lot of risk involved there. There is a risk that if we leave Babylon, we, no, 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 we know what we have here. We know what we're dealing with, whether it's Assyria or whether it's Babylon or Persia. We kind of know what we're dealing with, but we get out here in the wilderness and this whole thing could fall apart. They were afraid of risk, risk of bandits, risk of heat exhaustion, risk of death. And here's one of the reasons why many Christians and many churches never seek new streams. They're afraid of risk. Probably the biggest one is this, failure. Risk of failure. I don't, and here I am, you know, I'm going to set myself up to try to grow in the Lord or try to be this kind of person, let the Lord work this in me, or we as a church, we're going to really try to reach souls and try to grow. And you know what happens in the back of our mind is what if it doesn't work? What if I try and I fail again? Someone says that in their head again and again and again. That's what some people are thinking. Some people are, are knowing the new streams is God's blessing, but they're afraid. Well, what if God doesn't provide? What if that doesn't come? And there's this risk attached to moving forward for the Lord. Risk of looking silly. You know, you, uh, I need to be a better witness, but man, you know, here I am. I try to witness to people. What are people going to say? My job going to say about me? How are they ever going to treat me the same? And we, we have to risk what people think about us and how people will treat us. Risk of letting people down. You know, risk of stepping forward or going ahead on something and then not delivering. And then we let our family down or we let our friends down or we let our church down. Risk of, no, no, risk of, People having expectations we don't think we can meet. 
You know why so many people never take forward steps for the Lord? Is because they're afraid that people will expect things of them that they can't meet. And they're afraid of expectations because they're afraid of not being able to meet those expectations. So they'd rather not attempt anything so they don't fail to meet expectations. Risk of losing what we already have. See, no, no, wait a minute. At least they had a garden, right? They had their little house. So, I mean, they had some stuff. But if they lose Babylon, they might lose all of that. And we get afraid of risk. I mean, pastor, and this isn't on the plans. This is just an example. Man, we move to a building, we don't fill it, and then we lose the building we have. We go after this, we do that, and... We, we risk, you know, we risk this not working or that not working and looking silly. There's all these risks and we get afraid of risks and so we don't want to step out for the Lord. Here's the third thing. So Israel was going to return to a land that was not in pristine condition. You can read all about it in Ezra. The land had been essentially neglected for 70 years. Do you know the worst thing for a land is not somebody to misuse the land? It's actually for nobody to use the land. And this, this land of Israel, for 70 plus years, for the most of it, there were some stretches where certain parts of it had been, uh, they had left some farmers there, they'd left some people there, but for the most part, most of it had been neglected. So guess what? There were no farms functional and ready. There was no temple functional and ready. There were no walls to protect them. The city was completely destroyed by, by Nebuchadnezzar. The walls had been burned down. The temple had been destroyed. The farmlands had been neglected. Everything had been overrun. And so you know what they know? Here we've built up our home and we have a farm and we have a garden and we have our family and we have a house. And then we're going to go there and everything's a mess. We don't have walls. We don't have protection. We don't even have a temple. We don't have a, a farm. We don't have any of those things. And we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and start all over again. And the third hesitation was just hard work. Hard work. You know, the reality is, is we talk about new streams. We love to sing about new streams. We like the idea of new streams. But then at some point, here's what we realize. New streams don't come to lazy people. And somewhere along the line, you have to get into work. And some people don't ever read their Bible because they're saying it's hard. It's hard to learn how to read my Bible. They don't ever pray because it's hard to get up and to pray. They don't ever serve because it's hard to develop and to learn how to witness to someone or how to carry that ministry. They're never faithful to church because it's hard to adjust my schedule and to figure out my schedule to be there on time. It, it's difficult to talk and to communicate with this person or that person. And a lot of times, here's what we think. We think, man, if I go to that area, it's just so, it's just so neglected. It's just so run over. I just haven't done anything with it. I haven't touched it. It will be so much work and just the idea of work causes hesitation and even refusal. And so, so here's God, and he's coming to Israel, and he's saying, I want to do a new story in your life. I want to bring new streams in your life. And here's what God knows, that the people are listening to everything that God is declaring, and they're, they're saying, man, we're just kind of comfortable here. 
and, and it's going to be a lot of work to do this. And if we do this, this could go very poorly. And so there is a spirit of hesitation. Let me just ask you this. Don't answer out loud. But, but when you think about God taking you in new streams in your life and areas of growth and areas of service and things that you've never done before and going into new areas in our church, are you more hesitant or are you more expectant? Like learning how to develop a spiritual discipline that you've never really had. Are you more hesitant or expectant? Being a soul winner who can actually communicate the gospel to someone. Or being a discipler who learns how to train someone and continue one-on-one. Are you more hesitant or are you more expectant? Being, seeing our church go for things we've never gone for and reach people and do things. Are you more expectant? Like, let's go. I want to put myself in. I want to get after it. No, not you guys do it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm expectant for you. No, I'm talking about you. Are you hesitant or are you expectant? And if you're hesitant, it's probably around one of these areas. It probably either is you're comfortable or you're afraid of the risks or you don't want to put the work in, or a combination of all three. So what does God do with that kind of a situation? What does God say to motivate and to encourage the children of Israel? Well, God understands this. God understands this, that confidence comes. Confidence and excitement can come when you can rely on someone who is proven. When I moved to Idaho, I, I lived in, I grew up my whole life in California. I'd never touched a cow in my entire life. I think I touched snow once in my entire life. I was a city boy, I mean, in the absolute extreme of all possible definitions. So like when I meet my wife and she's talking about hiking and camping, I'm thinking about bears and death, literally. Not, not interested. What's that noise? I mean, that, that's just not, I would rather be in the streets with people who sell drugs, not because I want to do that. I'm just saying, I feel, I feel safe and comfortable around all that, police sirens and even shootings. I, I can handle all that, but you put me in the mountains with potential bears and mountain lions and all that, now I am scared to death. And in Idaho, we have uh, rivers because it's the mountains. And they're amazing rivers, beautiful rivers. Clear, powerful, flowing rivers. And over the course of the years, I'd become more accustomed to the mountains. Me and my wife would go to the mountains. I mean, I've skied before. I've fallen a lot. I've, you know, I've gone up. I've done hikes. I enjoy hikes. I enjoy all that stuff now. But there's still, like, limits. And, you know, a lot of people in Idaho move to Idaho just so that they can go up to the river because only about 30 minutes outside of Boise, they go up to the river and they can whitewater raft or they can kayak down that river. Now, here's the thing. It's dangerous. The current, the rocks, people die a lot. People get hurt. People get stranded. And so I just know I enjoy driving along the river, rolling my window down, listening to the river, enjoying the smell of the river. That's great. But I'm not getting in that river. I'll be the guy all the way at the end of the river with the little you know, a little pool thing, and I'll have the little kids there in the pool, and I'll be splashing around having a good time. You guys can go ahead and die up there in the river. You know, it's amazing, though, I did it. Not died. 
me and my wife and a, and a couple other friends, we whitewater rafted in a level four, one of the longest level fours in the United States, and we got in and and we rode that thing. I don't know if it was over an hour. It was a long journey. And it had some pretty wild points. And matter of fact, there was even a time we stopped and the river was going. And I climbed the top of a rock with other guys and jumped out of the rock and, and dove into the water. <laughs> Did all that. And I enjoyed it. I wasn't even nervous. I was excited. It was great. And I would do it again. You know what the deal was? I didn't do it alone. We drove up there, and there was this, like, shack. And outside of the shack, there's a sign of a company, and there's all these guys. I wouldn't let them drive my car. I don't think any of them have ever graduated high school. They all have little trailers that they live in, and, you know, they're, you know, they're different. But here's what I can tell you about each one of those guys. Each one of those guys have went up and down those rivers thousands and thousands and thousands of times. They've been trained, and they've done it, and they could practically do it with their eyes closed. And so we got one of those guys. This guy was from Chile, and he, he spent his time down in Patagonia and all that stuff. And we get in there, and he's the leader, and he's telling us what to do. And I'm good. And I'm excited and I'm happy, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, let's, let's, let's get some stuff. Let's go after it. And he's even having guys get on the front like it's a rodeo and holding on. I mean, I'm good with, I'm, let's have a great time. Because the guy has literally done this thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and he knows exactly what needs to happen. And he's led group after group after group. And just I just feel confident and safe that this guy is going to get us through. And he did. And God is talking to a group of people that are saying this. New streams are too much for me. New streams are too big for me. I'm afraid of the risk. I feel very comfortable in my life. I like driving by and looking at the new streams. But I don't want to put myself out in the desert for new streams. I, we don't feel comfortable. We don't feel capable. We don't even know if we can do the work. And here is what God says to them in verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power, and they shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. God says this, let me remind you that I've done this before. Let me remind you that I came to a people, Israel, in, in captivity, under the bondage of Egypt, and I brought them out of Egypt, and I brought them to a sea, and I opened the sea, and brought them across, and closed the sea, and destroyed Pharaoh. I have demonstrated my power and my ability to lead from Babylon all the way to Canaan land. I am proven. That's what God is saying to them. He's saying, look, you're afraid? You're hesitant, you don't think you can, but understand this, with me, 
I can get you through. With me, I can navigate the waters. With me, I can show you how to do this. I have done this over and over and over and over and over. And what's supposed to happen to Israel is this. Yeah, I wouldn't go to Canaan by myself. I wouldn't try new streams by myself. But God's in the raft with us. God has taken us to the other side. He's done this all through the Old Testament. I could name person after person he's done this for. So let's go. Let's enjoy the ride. And let's see God do some miracles. And maybe we'll jump off some rocks and even dive in the water. And that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to motivate them and encourage them that he will be their guide. You know, God has a great track record of new streams. I'm glad all two of you agree with me right now. Go look at those apostles. And look at how Bible savvy they were. How faith-filled they were. How much they had to lose. Rough. Uneducated. Some educated, but slimy. All different kinds of personalities. All different kinds of political persuasions. All different kinds of temperaments. All different kinds of economic statuses. One denominator in the raft. Jesus is in the raft. And Peter goes from a loud mouth to read first, in Pe- read first Peter about being clothed with humility and about shepherding the flock. James and John, the sons of thunder, John becomes a disciple of love. And these men who... who who didn't even seem to understand the traditions of the elders or any of this stuff, ended up being used of God to write the New Testament and be the people when we read the book of Acts inspires us and and gets us to believe in the impossible. And you could go all through the New Testament, but even after the New Testament, can't we not see people in our life over the generations that God has over and over taken people who didn't have the ability, people who were in uncomfortable situations, people who had all kinds of issues, and they just did what God told them to do, and they just obeyed God. And you know what God did? God did new streams and did new blessings and grew them and changed them and did amazing things in their life. He is the mighty God. You know what that's supposed to do for you and me? For some of you, you're thinking, I just need to learn how to read my Bible. And you're saying, I don't know if I can do this. God will, get, God will help you read your Bible. Some of you, you're saying, I don't think I can ever win someone to Christ. No, God can help you win someone to Christ. Some of you are saying, you know, I've got this hidden vice. I've got this hidden sin in my life. I don't think I can get. No, God can get you over that hidden, which isn't hidden because God sees it, but that vice in your life. Some of you are looking at our church, by the way, and you won't declare this to me publicly, but you're thinking, I don't think God is ever going to really do that with our church or do this with our church. But I'm going to tell you this, God can do that or this with our church. He has a proven track record to bring new streams. And here's what he's trying to say to you and me. I know that you're settled. I know that it's hard work. And I know, I know that there's risk. But I do this for a living. 
Last week we saw that new streams flow through a clean heart. This morning, here's what I want you to get. New streams flow from a proven God. We're not asking you to make new streams. Your pastor can't make new streams. But new streams can come from a proven God. Let me ask you three questions, and I'm going to say two things, and we're done. Have you, grown a, have you grown a garden around a sin? In other words, do you have something in your life that's not how it should be, but you've just gotten used to it, and you've just learned to live around it? Number two. Are you afraid of the desert? Are, are you, you know in your heart what it is that God would lead you personally to do, but you're afraid? Are you afraid? Number three, is there a land that you're afraid will be too hard to build? Is there something you... Man, you love that house, you love that vineyard, you love that new, but you're, you're looking at the workload and you're thinking to yourself, man, that's going to be tough. Number one, see your proven God. We're not asking for faith. We're not asking for faith in someone whose record is 50-50. How many, how many, how many times have you done this tour? I've done it about 3,000 times. How many times have you crashed? Well, about 2,000. No, we're not asking for that. God's track record is 100%. Can, can, that, can that settle in? God's track record is 100%. And I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about all the years. I'm not that old, but I was just thinking about all the years we've served the Lord. In all the different places and people that I've seen step out by faith. And I asked myself, how many of them were let down by God? Zero. You know, I've never seen someone step out by the Lord and lose their, their livelihood. I never have done a funeral where it was like this. Well, praise the Lord for so-and-so. They stepped out on faith and they died. And you know, you're chuckling inside, but that's, but that's the kind of stuff we're afraid of. He's 100%. See a proven God. Then number two, seek your new stream. See, I don't know exactly what God is going to do and, and all the things for our church and even some of the things that maybe he's going to put in your heart this week and over this year. I don't know, but I believe that there's probably an area in your life that God is saying, I want to lead you into this and you know it. And you're not even, you don't even want to address it. You don't even want to identify it. But what you need to do is this. You need, to see, you need to see your proven God. And then you need to seek your new stream. And we want, we want new streams. Only if we realize this. That new streams flow from a proven God.